Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin. Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima allamtana wa'allimna ma yanfa'una warzuqna ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbil alamin. Alhamdulillah. Thumma alhamdulillah. We continue again with our Bulughul Maram lessons. And as we know, we are busy with Kitabul Salah. And last week we started the next chapter, which is the chapter of uh, Jama'ah and Imamah. Naam. The chapter of Jama'ah, the Salahian congregation, as well as Imamah. Right, the matters relating or concerning the Imamat or the Imam of the Salah. Tayyib, last week we also started and we spoke about the importance of Salah and Jama'ah. We stressed on this and we mentioned a number of points on the importance of Salah and Jama'ah and the various benefits that comes with praying in Jama'ah. And we spoke about the Hukum. Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, basically said there is no difference of opinion that Salah and Jama'ah is legislated. However, what's the ruling on this? And we spoke about four different views amongst the scholars. One said Fard Ayn, one said it's a shart for the condition, it's a condition for the Validity of the Salah, like Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. Others said it's a fard kifaya. And others said it's a, it's a sunnah. Right? Others said it's just a sunnah, it's not a fard. Tayyip. And we said that the correct view is that it's a fard ayn. It's a fard ayn. Then we spoke about the reward that one attains when praying in jama'ah, which was the hadith of uh, the, the, the salah being 27 times better than the salah prayed by an individual, right? By a person by, who prays by himself. And one narration said 25 times and so forth. So tonight we're moving on to the next ahadith, the next few ahadith, which is the first one is narrated from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal, walladhi nafsi biyadih laqad hamamtu an amura bihatabin fayuhtataba fayuhtataba thumma amura bisalati فَيُؤَذَّنَ لَهَا ثُمَّ آمُرَ رَجُلًا فَيَأُمَّ النَّاسَ ثُمَّ أُخَالِفُ إِلَى رِجَالٍ لَا يَشْهَدُونَ الصَّلَاةَ فَأُحَرِّقَ عَلَيْهِمْ بُيُوتَهُمْ وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَوْ يَعْلَمُ أَحَدُهُمْ أَنَّهُ يَجِدُ عَرْقًا سَمِينًا أَوْ مِرْمَتَيْنِ حَسَنَتَيْنِ لَشَهِدَ الْعِشَاءَ Muttafaqun alayhi wa lafzulil Bukhari. Hadith is agreed upon and in this is the wording of Al-Bukhari. This hadith we touched on last week already. Wherein Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, Walladhi nafsi biyadih. Which means, he takes an oath. He swears by the one in whom, in whose hand is his soul. He says, by the one in whose hand is my soul. Meaning Allah. Laqad hamamtu. I was about to give an order. I was about to instruct. For the collection of firewood. For the collection of firewood. And I was about to instruct that the salah be called for. Right? That the call for the salah be given. And that the salah be led by a particular person. So a man comes and he leads the salah. And then I leave. To whom? To other men. To men. Who are not present in the salah. So what's he saying? Get some firewood. Let the salah start. And then I will leave with the firewood and go to the men. Whom, who are not present at the salah. 
And then I would I would burn the homes. And then he said, Walladi nafsi biyadi. He swore again, he took another oath and he said, but again, by the one in whose hand is my soul. If one of them if one of them knew that they would get a bone covered with some good meat or leftover meat or two small pieces of meat that's found in between the ribs, then al-Isha. He would have come for Isha. He would have attended what? Salatul Isha. And this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim as we said and it's the wording of Muslim. So the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are going firstly through the sharh of the hadith before we get to the benefits of the hadith. We focus in on this end point where he takes an oath at the end and he said by the one in whose hand is my, my soul. He swears and he says what? Had these people found something of the dunya, something which is in reality worthless or worth very little, very cheap. Had there been something of the dunya present, they would have come for the salah. They would have come with all ease. They would have been there. And this is like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in the Quran in many ayat, Allah then says, their hearts are covered. Their hearts are covered with confusion regarding this. Regarding the salah, regarding the affairs of the akhirah. Their hearts are covered with confusion. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَهُمْ أَعْمَالٌ مِن دُونِ ذَلِكَ هُمْ لَهَا عَامِلُونَ They have actions, they have a'mal. Deeds that they are doing. مِن دُونِ ذَلِكَ Right? They have a'mal which is below that which they are doing. Below those, you know, the, 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 the works for the akhirah. They have actions that they do which is below those works. That's what they focus on. You understand? They are deeds that's going to get you to Jannah. But instead of that, they are doing other things. So Allah says they have their own a'mal which is below that in status, in virtue, in reward. That's what they are focusing on. And this is something similar. This is what the Nabi is basically trying to tell us. Had they found some meat, if there was some food present, you know, and we know this in our society as well, we joke about this. If there's food present, people's at the masjid. Right? It's, this happens to this day. If there's no food, khalas, no need to go. Right? And this is the, exactly the point that the Prophet is making over here. Allah basically says in this ayah, that you were in ghafla yourself, you were heedless. But we remove this covering from your eyes. We remove this covering from your eyes and so forth. So Rasulullah is telling us over here that had there been this food, this meat, the word that is used is arqan saminan. Arqan saminan meaning had there been a bone with some leftover meat on it, some good meat that was left behind on it, or some meat that is found from the between two ribs. Right? That type of meat, for example. Had there been this 
present, whether it's in the masjid or outside of the masjid, doesn't make a difference. The point is it's there. It's present. Had this been there, they would have been present for Isha. So this tells us this was more like, most likely the waqt of Isha. Some people were not there. Some people are not there for Isha, for example. Prophet is saying, had there been food there, they would have been there. This is the point he makes at the end of, the, of this hadith. And so why does he specifically mention Isha? What is there something about, is the characteristics about Isha? That he's, for some reason, he's specifying the waqt of Isha. What can it be? Okay, it's the last salah before we sleep. Also, the hadith says the heaviest salah upon the munafiqeen is salatul isha and salatul fajr. Salatul fajr. So perhaps this is why he's mentioning it. Because people generally don't attend the masjid for those salah. Right? Um, but had they been food there, they would be there even for those waqts. Even if it was isha, they would come late at night. And they would be there for for Isha. And we'll touch on that narration again later on the, the issue of the munafiqeen. So we look at some of the benefits of this hadith. Right? We're looking at some of the benefits of this hadith. Ibn Uthaymin mentions many other things on this hadith. Some of them we have covered last week. Some of them we will skip bi'idnillah. Right? Some of what he mentioned is this hadith is what is used to prove what? What do, what do we get from this hadith? That salah in jama'ah is wajib. That's what this hadith teaches us. Without a doubt. That the salah in jama'ah is wajib. Why? We look at the action of the Prophet which he wanted to do. He says, I was about to do this. But he, he never did it for some reason. He kept back. Why? Because he knew, what am I going to do? Burning houses and then? That's going to lead to a bigger mafsadah. And remember I touched on this principle yesterday in the Sira lessons. I said you get a maslaha and a mafsada. You get maslaha and you get mafsada. Maslaha is that which brings about good. Mafsada is that which brings about bad. So at, a ta- at some times we have to weigh up the pros and the cons. The maslaha versus the mafsada. If I'm going to do this action, what goodness is going to come from it? And what bad is going to come from it? This is how a Muslim thinks. He thinks ahead. He plans ahead. So if I'm going to do this, whatever it may be, what good is going to come from it? And what bad is going to come from it? And then he weighs up the good versus the bad. And then he makes a decision. The good outweigh the bad. Or there's only good in this. Then he goes ahead. Or the evil effects outweigh the, the good. So we rather abstain from, even though this may be a good thing to do, let's abstain. Why? Because the evil effects outweigh the good. Are you with me? So the thing that he wants to do is a good thing. However, it comes with a lot of bad, a lot of bad effects, a lot of things that will happen from it is bad. And this is the mafsada. So when the mafsada is bigger and greater than the maslaha, than the good, what do we do? We abstain from this action. Maslaha. And then you get mafsada. Brings about fasad. It brings about bad, evil, corruption. So this is the principle in the Sharia that a Muslim should always have in mind. If I'm going to do this, what good is it going to bring? And, if I'm going to, and what bad might it bring? Then compare the two. 
And what outweighs the other? If the good outweighs the bad or if there's only good, Bismillah. If the bad outweighs the good, abstain. Abstain. And there's many examples we can give. What was the example I mentioned yesterday? On this principle. The example was Allah's statement. That was the example. It comes from the ayah where Allah says, Do not curse those whom they worship from besides Allah, lest they curse Allah out of enmity and out of a lack of knowledge. So the maslaha is, number one, we to, 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 to belittle a false god, is it haram? No, it's not. It's a false god. It's a false deity to tahut. But if that's going to lead to them cursing Allah, that's a mafsada. That's an evil that, that, that your action brought about. Are you with me? So by this, Allah is telling us, then rather abstain. Obviously, we talk about it in private, that's fine. Because there's no mafsada that's going to come. Nobody's going to curse Allah because of our private discussions. Are you with me? Then I mentioned the hadith. What was the hadith I mentioned? On the same principle. The hadith was about? Not Ubay. It was about cursing one's own parent. And they said, how does one curse his own father? And the Prophet said, you curse somebody else's father and they in return curse your father. And then you curse their mother and they curse your mother. This is on this principle. Cursing their father is the good in it. Not really. But there's more harm that's going to come your way because they're going to curse your father in return. So there's only mafsada that's coming out of that. A Muslim wants maslaha, not mafsada. Understand? In this instance, look at this hadith. Is there maslaha in going to their homes? Let's say setting their homes alight so that they can come out and make salah. There's maslaha. The maslaha is what? They're going to come to the masjid. So there's maslaha. There's something good. They're going to come to the masjid. That was the goal. To get them to the masjid. And most likely they will never miss salah in the masjid again. So that's two maslahas. Maslaha number one is they're going to get out and go to the masjid. And number two, they will learn a great lesson and that is they will never miss salah in the masjid again. But what's the mafsada? Is the mafsada involved? They'll be, but where's the family going to go? So he goes to the masjid. Where does his wife go? Where does his children go? Where does he sleep after the salah? He's homeless. What about the rest of his possession? It's gone. What about the reputation of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? What are the enemies going to say about him? He burnt these people's homes. What about the reputation of Islam in general? This is what Islam says, go burn the homes. What about, what are the followers of Islam going to do? How many extremists don't we already have? Islam is a religion of balance, right? It doesn't preach extremism and terrorism. But we have extremists. We have people who kill other people in the name of Islam, in the name of jihad. In the name of, they are in reality terrorists because they don't follow jihad properly. Imagine they come across that the Nabi actually burnt those homes. What would they do? They would set cities on fire. They would kill people at will and destroy property. Do you see how many mafasid we just mentioned? 
How many mafsadas we just mentioned? That's just off the top of my head, that's seven or eight. But the top of my head, if we were to sit down and really get into it, we could probably pull out even more. Right? But Sayyidina Prophet Sallallahu he didn't do this because he, he knew there's going to be more mafsada out of this, even though there's maslaha in it. So he's telling us, I wanted to do it, but I knew I shouldn't. And I can't do that because more harm is going to come out of this action than good. Understand? So this is how a believer should think in every matter. Whatever he's about to do, invest in, purchase, um, study, whatever he's about to do. What's going to happen if I do this action? Is the good going to outweigh the bad or not? And you should always think ahead, plan ahead. Try to foresee if I'm going to say this, what's, what's the outcome going to be? There can be this amount of good or this amount of bad can come from it and weigh up your options. This is how a, a believer thinks. He weighs the maslaha versus the mafsada. That good versus bad, the pros versus the cons and then he makes a decision going forward. Understand? And this we can even derive from this hadith. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, firstly we can show, see that the status of the salah in the masjid and why it's fard. But we can also see the, the intelligence of the Prophet ﷺ, that he didn't go ahead and just go and burn things. He, he thought, he processed, he deliberated. Right? We've spoken about this before. Deliberation is from Allah and haste is from shaitan. The person of haste was there, just take the things and go. Just act. And then later on we, think, we start to think. And then we regret. And then we want, in hindsight, we want to, you know, deliberation from Allah. And foresight is the way of the believer. Weigh up the pros and the cons and so forth. Taib, the next benefit that the Sheikh mentions is that the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa in this hadith, he said, لا يشهدون الصلاة This proves that salah in the jama'ah is... is is fard because he is saying that these men they are not present for the salah, right? And that this jama'ah must be in the masjid. That this jama'ah must be in the, the and we spoke about this point last week. There is more evidence to state that when we say jama'ah, it should be in a masjid ideally. Where you can, it should be in a masjid, right? That is what is meant by. Salah in jama'ah, in general, we mean in the masjid. If there's a need for you to pray elsewhere in jama'ah, let's say you're in a mall, for example, and there's a musalla in the mall. Obviously, to pray there in jama'ah is good, right? There's something different. There's no masjid close by. Or, you're on the road. There's no masjid close by, so you pray in jama'ah. Or there's a reason for you to pray at home. You pray at home with your family in jama'ah. That's fine. That's one thing, right? But in general, when we're speaking in jama'ah, we mean in the masjid. And this hadith proves this because what happened? These men were praying at home. And most likely they were praying with their families. But the Prophet ﷺ wanted them where? In the masjid. This is what this hadith proves to us. That he wants them in the masjid for jama'ah, not at home. Understand? It also proves to us that the Fard Kifaya argument is not valid at all. Had it been Fard Kifaya, why would you have to go to the rest if there are already people in the masjid? Understand? So this hadith disproves that argument of, or that opinion of, it's Fard Kifaya. The Prophet didn't see it as that. He said, there are people here, 
But we are the rest. They also need to be here. So it's found upon them, not just upon the uh, group of, of, the, of the Muslims. Tayyib, um, another benefit the Sheikh mentions on this hadith is that at times people who are doing Amr bin Ma'roof or Nahi Anil Munkar, people that are doing da'wah, for example, they can not partake in the jama'ah. They cannot partake in the jama'ah. They can, they are ex- exempted from the jama'ah. At times though. Not every single time, but at times. So in this instance over here, <coughs> the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa what was he going to do? Have the jama'ah start and he was going to leave. Understand? He was going to leave meaning, but he left for a reason to go and do the da'wah, to stop the haram or, or stop the people from just praying at home. So likewise, in South Africa we don't have this. But let's take Saudi for example. They have the, what we call the hay'ah. The hay'ah is the religious police. What do the hay'ah do? Salah time, they drive around, they have various mashayikh and du'at and so forth that have their own vehicles and they, they're driving around. And anybody who's not heading to the masjid, any shops that are open, they come to them and say, close. Or you get a fine. And they drive around with a loudspeaker and they say, As-salah, as-salah, as-salah. So the salah is happening in the masajid, but they are still on the road, reminding the rest of the people to get to the masajid. In this case, they are like the Prophet ﷺ in this hadith, how he would have been had he left. Are you with me? So they have a right to, to at times, miss the salah, because they have a, their maslaha is what? To do da'wah and to get the rest of the people to the masjid. So that outweighs the so-called mafsada of them not being in the masjid. Are you with me? So the, 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 the principles of the sharia is a beautiful subject. We just touched on one of it, which is the maslaha versus mafsada. There are many, many others and many other sub-principles that come from that and others and so forth. right? But this is one of those examples that the sheikh mentions here. And that is, at times, a person can be exempted because he has something else to do. A duty that he wants to fulfill that's of importance. So at times, he, not every single salana is going to be on the road. But now and then, right? Um, <clears throat> another example of this is like a security guard. A security guard who stands outside the masjid, protecting the cars and protecting the masjid and so forth. If he's a Muslim, this is fine for him to do. And then he can pray afterwards. You understand? And he will get special reward for that because he's doing a specific job. Protecting the Muslims and their possessions and so forth. Um, if that's his job, then yes. So as long as he's not missing the salah, but he will apply it in that particular time, for example, that's permissible. He will get the reward of jama'ah, yes. Because of his niyyah. His, his intention was not to miss the jama'ah. But his intention is, I would have prayed in jama'ah, however... I have to do this duty. And then when they're done, they come outside, he can then go inside and pray. And he will get the reward of the jama'ah. And so forth. And Allah knows best. Another evidence from this hadith that we can pull out is that this hadith, uh, or that it proves that the women do not have to pray in the masajid. Because the Prophet ﷺ, what did he say? I would then leave and go to whom? The men. Rijalun. To the men. That are not praying in the jama'ah. But not the woman. 
So he specifically said that he would go fetch the men that are not there. Right? That proves that the women don't have to be there. Um, another benefit is the people's himma. You know, the people's, um, I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? Your himma is your aspirations. What are the aspirations? As a Muslim, again, we have high aspirations. We have, we want the best. You know, we want to be of the best. So for us, we want to be in the masjid. We want to pray with jama'ah. We want to pray on time. That's a high aspiration to gain the highest of the best of reward. But the people mention that he's mentioning in this hadith. What does he say about them at the end of the hadith? Had they been this basic food, they would have been there. So what is their aspiration? Their aspiration is dunya. Dunya we orientated. And not orientated for the deen or for the akhirah. And this the sheikh again pulls out. Which is again a, a, a very powerful point. That we need to ask ourselves, where are we going? Where are we heading? What is our aspirations? Where are we driven? Are we being driven towards? Is it something for the dunya or something for the akhirah? What are we doing it for? You know? So in this case here, they're missing the salah and the jama'ah. But the Prophet is saying, had there been food here, they would have been here. Yani had it been a benefit for the dunya, they would have been here. And that food there, think about it, right? Any free food, this idea of free food, people, we go in this free food. How much does that food cost you? A plate of food that you're going to get for free, how much does it cost you? Not much. Not much, right? Tens of rands maximum. A plate of food for one person. A piece of meat for one person. Very little. But we flock for that. The people come out in the hundreds for that. And yet they have enough to make their own and to buy their own. So for them, the, the point is they come out for this. The aspiration is for that. You know, they come out, it's free food. But, come to your success, come to your salah. They don't come for this. Where's your aspirations, man? What, what is it that you're looking for, or longing for? What's the most important thing? Is it some small dunyawi benefit that's worth 10 rand, 20 rand, 30 rand, maybe 50 rand, not even? And then you get the salah. The reward which cannot be compared to. As we spoke last week about 27 times. And the Prophet times everything by Allah times everything by 10 at least up to 700. And all of the other benefits of just being in the masjid, walking to the masjid, sitting in the masjid, all reward, reward, reward. The brotherhood that you have the reward. And so can this be compared to a plate of food, a piece of meat? This is the insignificance, the, the, you know, and this is the understanding of insan. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا They prefer the hayat of this dunya over the akhirah. وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى But the akhirah is better and everlasting. But this is the insan, Allah musta'an. So this is again a powerful point that the shaykh brings out from this hadith. You ask the question, will that be the reward? Yes. If your intention is for that, that's all you're going to get. Right? If that's your intention, that's what, that's what you will get. That people will only get what they intended. Any questions on this hadith? So those are some of the benefits, as I said. There's a number of others that the Sheikh mentioned. But I think those are the main benefits for us to focus on. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. 
The next hadith is also from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu that he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Athqalu salati ala al-munafiqeen The heaviest salah upon the munafiqeen Salatul isha'i wa salatul fajri The salah of isha' and the salah of fajr وَلَوْ يَعْلَمُونَ مَا فِيهِمَا لَأَتَوْهُمَا وَلَوْ حَبْوَا مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ Had they known what is within these two salahs, they would have come to them even if they had to crawl. Even if they had to? Had to crawl. And this hadith is also in Bukhari and Muslim. Firstly, the hadith says, the heaviest of salah upon the munafiqeen. Who are the munafiqeen? What is a munafiq? A hypocrite. What does that mean? Two-faced. Two-faced, yes. Okay, in the context of Islam, what does it mean? The true munafiqeen are those who show the Islam on the outside, but on the inside they are disbelievers. They act as if they are Muslimin, but they are not Muslimin. That's a pure munafiq. A pure munafiq is someone who portrays Islam on the outside in his actions, in his speech, but in his heart, on the inside, he is not a believer. He is not a, a Muslim. That's a munafiq. So the munafiqun, they openly show the Islam and they come to the salah. They come to the masajid with the Muslimin. However, it is thaqilatun alayhim. It's what? It's heavy upon them. It's burdensome for them. It's difficult. Why? Because there's no true iman in their hearts. There's no true, true iman that has entered their heart. And so when they stand in the salah, or they come to stand for the salah, and what is the salah? The salah is a private discussion between you and Allah. Right? It's a, it's, a, it's a conversation, it's a discussion between you and Allah. You are speaking and you're connected to Allah directly. This is salah. So for them, this is not true. Or for them, this is not what they want. They are not true mu'mineen. This is why it's heavy for them. It's difficult for them. Because their iman is non-existent. Their hearts are furthest, or from the furthest of things away from Allah Azza wa Jal. So any obedience, any type of obedience you'll find is difficult for them. It's very difficult for them to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Especially the salah. Because salah it requires, number one, physical actions. It requires your attention, your focus. It's five times a day, early in the morning, late at night, hot, cold, whatever. It requires some sabr. It requires some effort. So for the munafiqeen, this is very difficult. It's difficult for them to, to implement. Um... <clears throat> So in reality, all of the salah is difficult for them. All of the salah is what? Is hard and difficult for them. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا كُسَالًا When they stand for the salah, they stand up out of laziness. They stand up lazily. When they stand for the salah, they stand up كُسَالًا Lazily. Understand? So all of the salah we say is difficult for them and burdensome upon them and heavy upon them. But the heaviest is none other than Isha and Fajr. 
The heaviest salah is Isha and Fajr. Why? Okay. What is, what's the problem with that? Meaning there's time for sleep. That's the thing. People are generally going to sleep at night or they are still busy sleeping in, early, in, in the early hours of the morning. Hence, it's more effort. After a long day, Isha, you, you have to pray Isha. But it's been a long day. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I've been working, I've been studying, I've been this, I've been that. So Isha can become heavy upon you. Hence, you know, it can become heavy for the world. So when you go sleep. Or Fajr, we all know. It's a difficult, you've got to wake up. The early hours of the morning, especially in the winter, it's ice cold. In the summer, it's very early in the morning. becomes difficult. That's one point. The other point is that in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the city did not look like the cities look today. For them to walk to the masjid, what did they need? Lamps. And so there was no street lights. It's not like today, everything is lit up. Everything, the whole city is basically lit up. Even at night. For you to find one street with the lights off, you can see it was dark in this road. You know? But back then, every road looked like that. And darker than that because if the street lights are off, the home lights are still on. So there's still some light in the street. And you're coming with your car lights on. There's still some light in the street. Back then, there was no lights. Except a little lamp that they had, which was a candle basically sticking there. Or some type of flint that they had in there. That was it. But there were no street lights and house lamps, house lights and so forth. Everything was dark. So once Isha came in, it was dark. And Fajr comes in, it's dark. So, number one, it's not just difficult to get there. What else is it? What else is the characteristic of the munafiqeen? Number one, they stand up lazily. What's the next thing Allah says? They want to they all want to be seen by the people. They show they are show offs. That's the thing of Nifaq. Nifaq is one of the attributes of a Munafiq is what? He wants to show people I'm in the mosque. I'm in the masjid. I'm coming for salah. Allah says this in the Quran. And they stand up out of to show the people. To show people that they are there. Now, if they come Fajr time, nobody can see them coming. For Isha, nobody can see them coming because it's pitch dark. Hence, for them to actually fulfill Isha and, uh, and Fajr is difficult. They're not going to fulfill it because people can't see me. I have nowhere to show off to. Besides the fact that it's time to sleep. Besides the fact that the roads are dark and so forth, it's difficult to get there. But the main issue is what? People can't see me. Can't show off. So it becomes difficult for them. Also on the issue of nifaq, we have two types of nifaq in the sharia. We have two types of hypocrisy. We have something called nifaq i'tiqadi and nifaq amali. I'tiqadi, which basically means nifaq in one's belief. And we have nifaq in one's actions. Nifaq, when it comes to belief, is what we see is the pure munafiq. That's the person who, he openly shows Islam and Iman, but inside he's a kafir. Inside he's actually a disbeliever. So he's a, a hypocrite in that sense, meaning 
He's not actually a true mu'min, a true believer. He's actually a, a disbeliever, but he acts like a Muslim. He walks with the Muslims, he comes to the masjid, but deep down, he's a, a disbeliever. Understand? As for nifaq amali, the nifaq of actions, then this is what a lot of Muslimin also fall into. But this doesn't take a person out the fold of Islam. The first type of munafiq is a kafir. Because he doesn't truly believe. He's, he's just about deceiving people. But the second type of munafiq is a munafiq in terms of his actions. In terms of the things that he does. Like a two-faced person. Like a person who is, you know, two-faced. He shows you one face now, then behind your back is different. That's nifaq. But it's nifaq in his action. Also, the hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned to us some of the characteristics of a munafiq. And he said that when he speaks, he lies. When he speaks, he lies. And when he had a, has a dispute, he is oppressive and abusive. And he also, when he makes a promise, he breaks his promise. This is nifaq. Does this make a person a kafir? No, it's a major sin. It's nifaq. But this is nifaq in his actions. He's a believer, but in his actions he has some double standards. Some hypocrisy, understand? Lots of Muslims are guilty of this. And some of them, some Muslims have one of these characteristics. Some have two of them. Some have three of them. Some have four of them. The one who has all of these characteristics, he's a true munafiq in his actions. He's a munafiq in his actions. But he's a, deep down he's a, still a Muslim. So as a Muslim, we, we want to get rid of these type of, these type of um, characteristics, which is the characteristics of the munafiqeen. But the true munafiqin, as it is, they are disbelievers. They are those who actually don't believe in reality. Um, طيب. So at the end of this hadith, it said, had they known what is in this two salah, coming to the masjid for these two salahs, salah, uh, Isha and Fajr, what, what, what would happen? They would come even if they had to crawl to the masjid. They would come. So what does this tell us? Had they known meaning, they don't know. They don't know the reward of Isha and Fajr in the Jama'ah. They don't know this reward. But had they known it, had they had the ilm, they would have been there. And this again is why knowledge is again so important. Because if we have the knowledge, we will act, inshaAllah. Give us enough motive and reason to act. But if there's no knowledge, then we can sort of understand why some people don't do what they're supposed to do because in reality they don't know. And not that it's an excuse, they should, they should be learning. Right? But the Prophet said, had they known, they would have come. Had they known, they would have come. Even if they had to crawl. Even if they had to crawl like babies, they would have come. Tayyib, the benefits of this hadith, number one is, salah is heavy upon the munafiqeen. That's the first benefit. Number two is, every, every salah, Right? And every act of worship is difficult for them. Every act of worship is difficult to read the Quran. It's difficult to give sadaqah. It's difficult to sit down and do anything good because it's, the iman is not true. 
It's heavy upon their soul. Understand? As for the true believer, the opposite holds true. Salah is something easy for him. Salah is light for him. To go to the masjid brings him contentment. To stand in the prayer is, Alhamdulillah, he feels good. He feels at ease. This is why the Prophet said what? Ju'ilat quratu aini fi salah. The coolness of my eyes is in place in the salah. Because it brought coolness to his, his heart, to his, his, his body, to his heart, his, and so forth. Right? This is the true believer, the opposite of the munafiq. It's not heavy for him, it's light. It's easy. It's pleasing to him. Salah comes, it's pleasing. When the time for salah came in, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to say, Ya Bilal, Adhin, Arihna biha. He said to Bilal, give the call to prayer and bring us comfort through it. Bring us comfort and ease through it. Yani what? When it's time for salah, it brought them joy and comfort and ease and happiness. That's a true believer. That's how the Sahaba and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam were and this is how we should try to become. <clears throat> Preserving the salah and khushu' is a sign of iman, opposite of the munafiqeen. It's a sign of iman when we uphold our salah and we pray with khushu' قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Allah says indeed the mu'minun are successful and they are those who خاشعون in the salah they are focused and, and, and concentrating in the salah with khushu and in the, later on in the same surah he says وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ they are those who, who preserve the salah they uphold the salah this is the mu'min they focus they pray in the best possible way with contentment with focus physically in the, in the way they're supposed to pray they pray and so forth Another point here is, it's far to be in the masjid. And for salah, especially for Isha and Fajr. Not especially, but including Isha and Fajr. This is not the way the munafiqeen. They wouldn't, it's difficult for them. The mu'min is there. And lastly, the virtue of ilm. The virtue of knowledge. And the fruits of having knowledge. Which is what carries us towards our actions. Your knowledge should lead you to action. As the Prophet said in this hadith, had they known, they would have come crawling. Understand? Any questions on this hadith? Next hadith is also from Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu. He said, Atan Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, rajulun a'ma faqal. A blind man came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said, Ya Rasulullah, laysa li qa'idun yaquduni ilal masjid. I have no guide that can lead me to the masjid. I have no guide that can lead me to the masjid. And so, the Prophet gave him a concession. What's this man saying? I'm a blind man and I have nobody to help me get to the masjid. You know, I can't walk by myself. So the Prophet said, what? Khair, you can pray at home. Gave him concession. When he turned away, da'ahu. The Prophet called him back. And he said, هَلْ تَسْمَعُ النِّدَاءَ بِالصَّلَةِ Do you hear the call to the salah? يعني the adhan. قَالَ نَعَمْ 
Serious? Qala fa'ajib. Then you have to answer the call. Then you have to answer the call. Hadith is in Muslim. Hadith is in Sahih Muslim. This man was Ibn Ummi Maktoum. Ibn Ummi Maktoum. We spoke about him in the Sira lessons. Yes, which ayat? Not ignore the blind man. He frowned and he turned away. Because a blind man came to him. That's Ibn Umi Maktoum. After him sitting with Ali Walid ibn al-Mughira and al-Nadr ibn al-Hadith and so forth, and the leaders of the Quraysh, Ibn Umi Maktoum came to him. This is the blind man, Ibn Umi Maktoum. And he was also the one who used to give the adhan. Adhan early in the morning. Right? Tayyib. Anyways, it doesn't really matter who the man is. If it's just any blind man, it doesn't change the ruling. But we know it was Ibn Ummi Maktoum, radiallahu an. Um, so this hadith, again, there's many benefits from this hadith. Number one is, some of the blind sahaba would come with, they had guides. People that would help them come to the masjid, even if they had to pay and have someone do this as a job, that's what they used to do. Secondly, we see how the sahaba were when it came to seeking knowledge. There's a blind man coming to find out. He could have easily said, I'm a blind man, I'm just going to say it home. He came out to ask to make sure he knows what he's doing. To make sure he has knowledge before he acts and speaks. Sahaba, this is the way it should be. Another benefit even Uthaymin mentions is that it's permissible to turn your back on the Prophet What do we mean by this? We don't mean betray him, turn your back on someone as you desert him. It means you walk away from him with your back facing him. Understand? So some people, like the Sheikh mentions, is, and this only comes from ignorance, when they leaving Masjid Nabawi, they will walk out backwards. Because they don't want to face the back to the Prophet. I've seen people outside the Haram, walking towards the front. So the Qabr is behind him, walking backwards. Why? I can't, my back can't face the, the Prophet This man, blind man asked, the hadith says he turned around and he walked away. He turned. Meaning his back is facing the Prophet. The Prophet said, he called him back. Come here. Understand? Some people, the Sheikh says, is when they make tawaf, tawaf al-wida'ah, farewell tawaf, and they're about to leave Mecca, they walk backwards out of the haram. They walk backwards. He says, they don't care who's behind them. Knocking over people, tripping over people. But what? I can't turn my back on the Kaaba for the last time. So they walk backwards out of the, out of the haram. And wallahi, you see these things. If you take note, you will see people doing it. You may think what's happening, but when you know what's happening, you know what's happening. And you see people doing this. So the Sheikh says, this is only out of jahl. Pure ignorance. There's no evidence for any of these things. It's not Islamic practices. Turning your back in this instance is not disrespect. It's not disrespectful. It's something normal. Right? People have made this an issue out of respect, but it's not actually. Yeah, the Sahabi did it. The Nabi Sallam didn't rectify him. Say to him, don't turn your back on me. Don't face your back towards me. Those things are not um, considered respect or disrespectful. Wallahu a'lam. The other benefit of this hadith is, whoever hears the adhan, it's found for him to, to respond. Whoever hears the adhan, it's found for him to respond. 
And this brings us to uh, some important issues, right? And this is very important that we discuss, as it is we are discussing, as we discussed last week and this week, the ruling on praying in jama'ah. This will affect this ruling directly. Firstly, the Sheikh says, um, what about a blind man or a deaf person? He says there's a deaf, a deaf person. He can't hear, obviously, but he stays close to the masjid. Does he have to pray in the masjid or not? Right? We say he must pray in the masjid because he's close by. Even though he technically cannot hear the adhan, because he's close by, he still has to pray in the, in the masjid. What about a person who lives nearby but he doesn't hear the adhan for various reasons? Like today, cars driving up and down. You stay over the, the highway, you're not going to hear what's happening on the side because there's always cars driving up and down. There's houses in the way, there's lots of sounds going around, so you don't necessarily hear. So he doesn't hear the adhan but he stays close by. Does he have to pray in the masjid? Yes, yes he does. So whether he hears it or not doesn't actually change the ruling. The fact is he's nearby. He's within listening distance. And on this point, Imam al-Nawi, Imam al-Shafi and others, they stated that the Mu'addin, usually he stands at a certain location in the city, in the area rather. So meaning, if he's at the masjid, they used to stand on the minara, right? Or they send him up to on top of a high building. And so that when he calls out with a loud voice, the people in the area can hear. That's why Bilal was given the duty. had a loud, beautiful voice. So when he called the Adhan, those all around could hear him. Understand? So he says he should stand in, the, in a certain location where there is, and there must be no noise and no wind either. Right? And if a person can hear him, it's wajib for him to respond. So this is not always going to be the case, obviously. There's wind and the sound and so forth. But for argument's sake, if you are in a location where if I stood outside and I gave the adhan and you could hear me when, it, when it's quiet and there's no wind, then it's fouled upon that person too to come to the masjid. Because then he is technically within range. He's close to the masjid. Are you with me? then this means he's close to the masjid. This is how they used to tell. If I was to make adhan with a loud voice, from a nice location, like a high spot, and there's no wind or noise, and the person can hear me, then it's far for him to respond. So some ulama stated this is like two kilometers, two, three, four kilometers. This is in that range of the masjid. Two to three kilometers in, of that range of the that range of the masjid. Understand? So now we come to the next issue, which is, what about using a loudspeaker? Like in today's time, we use loudspeakers for the adhan, right? A microphone connected to a loudspeaker outside, and it's not more two kilometers, the adhan can go even further. If it's quiet, the adhan can go even further, right? I mean, these days, from my house, I can hear the adhan loud. And these days, I don't hear the adhan at all. Just depends on the weather. 
depends on the weather. When it's slightly overcast and the cast clouds are nice and low, the sound travels and you can hear it loud. And it's quiet outside. But the normal day, you don't hear it. Sometimes I can hear three masajid. Depending on the time of day, depending on certain, you know, weather and so forth. Other times, I don't hear any. Or I hear just one. Obviously, it's because of the, the mics. Right? Now, what do we say? So now, we could either say it's the same ruling because he heard the adhan. He heard the adhan. Right? The hadith here of Ibn Umm Maktoum, the Prophet said, can you hear the adhan? He said, yes. Then he said, you must respond. Or we can take a different approach and say, in the time of the Prophet when he asked him this question, there was no mics. There was no microphones. There was no loudspeakers. So the way that he meant it was, in a natural way. Do you hear the adhan from where you are? Yes, then you must come. Because what does that mean if you hear the adhan? What does that mean? You were in walking, you were nearby. But if you use a microphone, does it mean that you are nearby? You could be quite a far distance away, right? And you're hearing it because of the mics. And therefore, when you're hearing the adhan, you're actually far away. You are not nearby. And that's why most of the ulama that I've seen say the mics don't count. Meaning it's permissible to use the mics, yes? But listening must be done. The hadith speaks about hearing it with your ears, not with the microphone. Hearing the, the adhan, the muaddin's voice naturally, not with the microphone. This is the view of Ibn Uthaymin as well, and Ibn Baz and others. So they say, if you are far away from the masjid, and you hear it with a, due to the speaker system, that does not make it fall upon you to go to the masjid. Are you with me? Because you are technically not considered nearby. You're still considered far away. So even though you heard it, but you only heard it because of the speaker system that they're using. Right? But actually you're very far away. A simple example, the haram. The haram, you can hear the adhan from kilometers away. Does that mean you have to go to the haram? Haram is kilometers away from you. To get this and take you 10 minutes, 20 minutes sometimes because of traffic. By the time you get there, the salah is done. Obviously, now in Makkah, Medina, there's many other masajid you can go to. That's besides the point. But I mean, the, the adhan speaker system can, the, those speaker systems can travel far, far, far. Kilometers away. So, what they are basically saying is what? If it's heard via the system of a, of, a, of a mic system, and you are far away, then it's not wajib upon you to attend the masjid. It's not far upon you to attend the masjid because you are technically far away. Now the next argument is, why do you have a car? For you to drive five kilometers takes you not a long time. It's easy. It's quick. Three to four kilometers, it's quick. So technically, you're not in walking distance. You're far away. But you heard the adhan, and you have a sayyara, so you can easily jump in and get to the masjid in time. So now, does it become wajib or not? The answer is no. Again, we go back to the time of the Prophet This is how they understood it. They had camels, but it wasn't understood like that. They had modes of transport. They never used that. It was meant for walking. 
was meant in the, according to that ada you can say and it still is applied like that so it doesn't become wajib and the ulama have stated that whoever is not able to attend except by driving then um, it's not fard upon him except for jumu'ah except for for jumu'ah so this is the concluded opinion on this matter and Allah knows best Right, very importantly, this doesn't mean that we should now stay away from the masajid like most people do. Right, the, the benefits outweigh, not the harm, there's no harm. But a person who prays at home is losing out on so much reward and so much benefit. Right, and it, wallahu alam, I'm not going to say it's become sinful, it can become sinful if it leads to this type of boycotting of the masajid, man. I won't say it's sinful, because that requires an evidence. But it's become, the, the societies become like this, where the masajid are boycotted. Not in the sense that we don't want to be there, but the people don't make any effort to be there. There's no love for the masjid anymore. You know? So the whole community is affected, the brotherhood is affected, everything is affected. Ummah is weak because of things like this. Unity is affected. There's a lot of consequences of not praying in the masjid. So it's easy for us now to take this ruling and say, I'm not in walking distance of the masjid. So technically, I can pray at home labas. No problem. No sin upon me. But think, a mu'min doesn't think like that. A mu'min doesn't think like that. A mu'min wants to know what's the sunnah. Has high aspirations as we said earlier. And he wants to get the best out of, uh, out of this world. For the akhirah. That's a mu'min. Had there been food there, he would have jumped in his car and been there. And that, if that is the case, then we need to be very worried. If that's how we are, then I feel that we need to be worried because we wouldn't go for the salah. We were not going to go except that we heard they're giving out some cake and tea. Okay, now I'm going to go. We'll make an effort to be there early and be there. And make sure I'm first in line or second in line. And I'm not going to miss out. If that's why we're going to make the effort to be there, then Wallah Musta'an is a major issues with our intention and our understanding of the deen and so forth. Um, so mu'min, yes, we say if you are far away, it's not fard. It's not fard, meaning if you pray at home, there's no sin upon you. But a mu'min should be one who loves the masjid. He should be one who loves the masjid. And one of the seven who will be shared under the throne of Allah is a, a man who loved the masjid. A man who loved to pray in the masjid. It will be one of the seven who shaded under the throne of Allah. These are these so many rewards, so many benefits. But, uh, should I say, that is where we should be striving for. And not worried about, is it fard or not? Is it fard or not? No. Be there. Get the reward. Maximize your reward. Have high aspirations. As a believer, Wallahu a'lam. What about the sick person? If he lives close to the masjid? Like a blind person who has no guide. But this blind person had to be there. The Prophet said he must come. Because he could hear it. He's nearby, he must come. So a sick person depends on the sickness. Right? If he's able to, he should be there. If it's not going to be uh, contagious, he should be there. If it is, he should stay away. If it makes him tired and weak, he should stay away. And recuperate and recover and so forth. Wallahu alam.
The Sheikh then mentions, some people say, I don't go to the masjid except after the iqama or time of iqama because what must I do in the masjid before that? Some people say this, you know, we're going to, we don't, we don't, you know, they wait 15 minutes, let's wait. Instead of going early, let's wait. They, can, they, they make the adhan now. It takes us five minutes to get there, but they're going to wait 15 minutes. So we can wait 10 minutes. By the time we get there, we get there on the iqama. Right? So the sheikh says, you get to the masjid, you pray whatever Allah wants you to pray, like tahiyatul masjid and so forth. You sit down and you wait for the salah. You can make dua. The time between the adhan and the iqama is, dua is accepted. You can recite the Quran, make tasbih, make dhikr, make istighfar. In fact, the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whosoever purifies himself at home, and he takes wudu at home. Then he goes to the masjid, and he does not leave his house except that he's going to the, to the masjid. Nothing is causing him to leave his home except the salah. There is not a step that he takes except that Allah raises him in rank and wipes out a sin of his. And when he gets to the masjid and he prays, makes salah, like Tahitul Masjid for example, the malaika will continuously be praying upon him, praying for him. And they will say, as long as you are in that masjid and sitting waiting for the salah, you are just sitting there waiting, even if you are not making dhikr, you're just sitting and you're waiting. The malaika will continuously say, Allahumma salli alayhi, Allahumma aghfir lahu, Allahumma arhamhu. Oh Allah, have mercy on him. Oh Allah, forgive him. Allah send you special mercy, blessings and mercy upon him. The malaika are waiting for the person who comes early and waits and he makes dua for this person. And he makes dua for this person. Until the imam stands up and he prays. And even after the salah, you sit and you wait. You just sit there. Make adhkar and so forth. As long as you're sitting there, the malaika are praying for you. They're praying for you. This is the virtue of just sitting in the masjid. Besides the, the virtue of the salah, as we spoke about. Besides the other things. This is that virtue. So a person who can be there early should be there early. Inshallah ta'ala. Um, it also proves that Salah in the Jama'ah is again fard He ordered the blind man to be there So it's, it's fard that he should be there Right And then the Sheikh mentions that There's another hadith of Uthman Sorry Uthman ibn Malik Uthman ibn Malik anhu, Who used to pray with his people Right at home And this man was an old elderly man And he was also blind was also blind and he also had no guide to lead him to the masjid so but also there was a stream intermittent stream that used to run between his home and the masjid and so forth so the prophet basically allowed him to pray at home now some people might say contradiction Utban is allowed to pray at home but Ibn Umi Maktoum has to pray in the masjid is the contradiction there's no contradiction. The, the thing here is there's a, there's a stream that's running there. The blind man's going to walk, he's going to fall into the stream. So obviously, maslaha versus mafsada. Right? Remember the principle? There's maslaha going to the masjid, but what's the mafsada? He can die. He can drown. He can get hurt. That's more important. Stay at home. Right? So there's no contradiction over there. And Allah knows best. Last hadith from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, sorry, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah. عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من سمع النداء فلم يأتي فلا صلاة له إلا من عذر إلا من عذر إلا من عذر راه ابن ماجة ودار قطني وابن حبان والحاكم ويسنده على شرط مسلم لكن رجح بعضهم وقفه 
This hadith we've touched on before already as well. The Prophet said, Whomsoever hears the adhan, the nida, and he does not come, then there's no salah for him. Except if he has a, an excuse, right? Except if he, if he has an excuse. What did I say about this, this hadith? Shaykh al-Islam and others use this hadith to prove that it's a condition. If you don't come to the mosque, your salah is not accepted, right? But how do we respond to this hadith? This is one of the had, had, proofs that he uses. Nope. How did we respond? We explained this hadith. I said, فَلَا صَلَاةَ لَهُ What does it mean? Whomsoever hears the adhan and he doesn't respond, then there's no salah for him. What did I say about this? How do we interpret this wording? There's no salah for him. I touched on this point in detail. There's no salah for him. What does this mean? I said this is a negation. The Nabi is negating the salah for him. But there's three types of negation. Nafiul wujud, meaning either he's negating the existence of the salah. Does this, can this happen? Is this, no, he prays at home. So there's not, we move to the next point which is nafiul siha. It's a negation of the validity of his salah. Right? This is how Ibn Tamiya understands it. Okay? And if that's not applicable, we move to the next understanding, which is nafiul kamal, a negation of the completion or the perfection of salah. And this is how the ulama understand this hadith. Why? Because other hadith mention the person who prays by himself. He has 27 times less reward than the one who prays in jama'ah. So it means his salah is accepted. So therefore, this hadith means the one who prays in jama'ah, uh, who prays and he heard the, uh, prays by himself, and he did not. Sorry, the one who hears the adhan and he does not respond and he prays by himself. Fala salatala means there is no complete for salah for him. His salah is, is, is what? It's valid, it's accepted, but it's not complete in terms of its reward. It's not perfect. It can't be perfect because you already missed out or not going to the masjid. Understand? Except for the one who has an excuse. For him it can be perfect because he has a valid excuse like he's sick. For example, Taif, so we've spoken about this hadith before. Khair, there's no need to go into too much detail on this explanation over here. Some say it's a condition like Ibn Taymiyyah. We know the response to that now. It's, it, it means what? It means that uh, there's no complete salah. However, this hadith also proves that you must be in the masjid. Because that's how you get the completion of your salah. And the perfection of your salah. To be in the masjid if you can hear the adhan. Yani if you are close by. Understand? So what is considered as a udhr? What is considered as an excuse for not being in the masjid? How do we decide, okay, I have an excuse not to go. I'll pray at home. Okay, so then that wouldn't be, that would, that would not be fard upon you. But let's say you can hear it. You're in, you're in reach, you're in range, you're close by. Right, you're close by to a masjid so you can hear the adhan. Okay, illness definitely. Right, so if you're ill, you pray at home. No need to respond because you're sick. Firstly, we have to get evidence. It has to be evidence-based reasoning, right? We can't just make up reasoning. So like the Sheikh mentions here, um, somebody says, I'm excused, my friends are here. We're sitting, we're, having, we're playing games, we're having a games night. So we excuse, I'm going to the masjid. Not valid. Right now we're having some coffee together. Excuse from going to the masjid. We sit in the coffee shop. Is that an excuse? It's not an excuse. 
That's not an excuse. It doesn't count. It has to be something from the Sharia. Right? If a person is sick, that's a valid reason. If it's raining extensively, the hadith says, the, the Mu'adhin would say, Sallu fi rihalikum. Pray at your homes. Right? If it's a mudslide, or it's raining, or the roads are dangerous, it's a storm, pray at home. That's a valid reason. What else? A pandemic, okay. That's fair enough, yes. Pray at home. Right? What else? Obviously now, let's take the pandemic issue. So, if you take our situation now, what's the ruling on going to the masjid? Should we go or not? Okay, so now we go, why? We take precaution. We take the precautions that are put into place. Sanitize your hands, you wear your mask, if you want to, if you feel into social distance, social distance. That's also valid, the ulama said it's fine. And so forth, right? So you take your precautions, just like you take your precautions everywhere else. Some people say we can't pray in the masjid, there's no COVID-19, coronavirus, right? But we're in the mall every day. We can pray every day. People are bumping into you, walking against you. There's no real social distancing there even. What's the difference? Is there a difference? You go everywhere else except the masjid. Does it make sense? It doesn't make sense. So pray in the masjid. Pray in the masjid but maintain your protocols. Right? So that would not be a reason not to go to the mosque. If there are no protocols in place, then perhaps we can say it's a bit dangerous. But if there are protocols, people are being responsible. Bismillah. Tawakkal ala Allah. Just like you say when you go to the to work. And you interact with people. And you go to the mall, or to the shop and so forth. Right? Shaitu's question is, um, so what happens when you make jamaat salah? Right? So um, everybody stands together. But then this one person decides, no, it's too dangerous. So he let his stands away from the group. So that is accepted as jamaat? Yes, he's part of the Jama'ah, no, no doubt. He's part of the Jama'ah, yes. Yes, so you say he's staying two, three rows away from everyone for safety, security. La ba'as, inshallah, no problem. Especially in this situation. In this, that's what I mean. Especially in this situation. If there's no reason, then there could be a problem. Uh, because there is hadith about praying by yourself in a row. The Prophet said you shouldn't pray by yourself in a row. You understand? So you break away from the soft and you pray alone in the soft. That's not permissible. But most ulama say his salah is still valid. Even though he's in a jama'ah, but he prayed alone. Most scholars say what? His salah is still valid. Even though he's praying by himself. So if you take the soft issue now, we're praying split apart, right? Are we alone in the soft? No, we're in the soft, but we're praying with distances. Distance doesn't break the salah. So what do you mean, like, for example, now he prays behind? No, 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 I get you. But this is like the hadith of a person praying behind for no reason. His salah is still valid. He has a reason. So his salah is valid. And he will not be sinful because he has a reason. Are you with me? The hadith spoke about someone who stands by himself out of the row for no reason. Right? So the soft in front of him has space. If there was no space, he has a reason. Stand at the back, right? He has a reason. Stand by yourself. Somebody comes in, they'll join you. But, for standing for no reason there, it's sinful, but... It's valid, according to most ulama. For a person who does it now out of fear, because he feels, look, there's a pandemic, I don't want to catch this virus, I'm going to stand apart, he has a valid reason. So we say to him, no problem. No problem. Alhamdulillah, you came to the masjid, it's better than praying at home. 
Stand when you feel it's best for you to stand and pray with the jama'ah. And he gets the reward of the jama'ah, bi Very important question then, Sheikh, um, what you've mentioned. So if the sock is full and you come late, now you stand alone. Yes. Do you tap on No, you don't. You leave them and you pray by yourself. So, because we want to be two. No, you don't stand. tap someone to stand with you. Because now that row is also incomplete. And you're disturbing that person. And what if the person doesn't want to come to the back? Do you understand? Okay. You make a big disturbance. So you're going to tap him. He doesn't move. What are you going to do? Tap the next guy. He doesn't move. You tap the next guy. Do you understand? Maslaha versus mafsada. Is that the bidah? There's no evidence for it, yes. So we don't do that. Um, and also, in this instance, you're praying by yourself out of a reason. That the hadith about praying alone is for what? The, pro- the prohibition in that is for praying alone for no reason. But if there's a reason, the soft is full. Khayyad, now stand by yourself. If you end up praying the whole salah by yourself, alhamdulillah, no problem. But if the soft is not full and you stand at the back, then it's a problem. This is where there's a dispute, is your salah valid or not? Most of it is still valid, but you can maybe sinful because you didn't fill the soft. And you stood for no reason by yourself. Understand? Allah knows best. Some of the other reasons is, the Sheikh mentions, you have to use the toilet. You need to use the toilet. So if you need to use the toilet and the adhan is going, and there's no time for you to get to the, let's say it's Maghrib, they don't wait long. It takes you 10 minutes to get there. Right? But you need to use the toilet. So what are you going to do? Go to the toilet whilst holding in your, or not? In this instance, what's going to happen? You're going to be praying and you're going to be dancing around. And your focus is going to be there. I don't need to break wind. I don't need to, you know, I need to go urinate and so forth. In that case, use the toilet, freshen up and pray when you, with khushur, yani. You understand? Otherwise, you're going to pray with no khushur. The same thing, issue here is the hadith said, لا صلاة بحضرة الطعام ولا هو يدافعه الأخباث وأخبثان The hadith says, there's no salah. Again, listen to the wording. There's no salah when there's the food has been served. What does that mean? No existence of salah? Oh, yes, it means eat your food first. But I'm taking you back to what I mentioned earlier. The, the issue of negation, man. Can it be the negation of existence of salah? Somebody can serve food and you can make salah. It doesn't mean that. Does it mean there's no valid salah? Or does it mean there's no complete salah? It means no complete salah. Why? Because your mind is on the food. You have served the food. The food's nice and hot. You're hungry. And now you decide, Allahu Akbar. How are you going to pray when your mind is thinking of the braai and the burgers or the pizza, whatever it is, and that's what's on your mind? Because you, in your, your stomach's grumbling. Are you going to make salah properly? That's why the Prophet said there's no salah when the food has been served. Meaning, no perfect salah. Nafil Kamal. It's not Nafil Siha, it's not Nafil Wujud, it's Nafil Kamal. Understand? Kamal, yes. Kamal means perfect or complete. And the hadith says, and there's also no complete salah when you are holding back Akhbathan, which refers to the urine or bowl and so forth. Your feces, whatever it means, you need to relieve yourself and you are holding it in. There's no salah like that, meaning there's no perfect salah like that. How are you going to pray? Can't focus. Rather break your salah 
relieve yourself, take wudu and fresh, and then pray salah. Understand? These are all valid reasons that the Sharia gives us. Um, in fact, he mentions the hadith of Ibn Umar. And Ibn Umar, the son of Umar ibn Khattab, right? He was known for being extremely strict. Was very strict, very pious. Held on to the sunnah severely. Even in matters where it's not technically sunnah, he would still do it. If the Prophet would leave himself in a spot, he would make sure he goes there to leave himself. It's not sunnah to go there. But he, the Nabi didn't have to do it. That's how he was. He would ride on his horse and he would bend down. People say, why did you bend down? He said, in the time of the Prophet there was trees here and he would bend down. So I bend down when he, at the same spot. That's how strict he was, Abdullah bin Umar. When people saw, made salah and they didn't do raful yadain, raising their hands. You know, before the ruku, you raise your hands. Come up from ruku, Samiullah you raise your hands. He saw a person making salah and the man never raised his hands. What did he do? He threw him with a stone. In the salah, the man making salah and he started to throw him with stones. And the city, what's happening? He said, but he doesn't raise his hands. Doesn't he follow the sunnah? A hadith is so clear on this issue, he doesn't follow, and he pelted him with stones. This was Ibn Umar, he was extremely strict when it came to worship and following the Sunnah. And this is one of the strongest refutations against the Hanafis because they don't raise their hands to this day. You know, anyways, Ibn Umar, he would hear the Imam leading the Salah and he would not get up because he was busy with having supper. As strict as he was, but he, because he knew this hadith, he knew this hadith, he would be eating supper, he would hear the Imam leading the Salah. And he would not leave because he knew there is no complete salah when the food has been served. Understand? So obviously now, you don't tell your wife, look here, Maghrib is at 7 o'clock, you serve the food 5 to 7. So that you're going to, you know, if you can plan it between the salawat, do that and you get the best of both worlds. And if you're hungry, eat 15 minutes before the time so you can eat and pray and come back. You know, that's the a believer. Um, another example the Sheikh mentions is you fear your loss of wealth. Like in a business. Like in a shop, for example. Or perhaps not a shop. I mean, a shop you could close for five minutes and pray. Right? Or you leave your... If there's somebody there, that's one thing. But in this case, the Sheikh mentions an example. He says, a man in a bakery, he puts his bread in the oven. And if he goes to the masjid and comes back, what might happen? Stuff will burn. In that case, make sure everything's done, it's safe. Shops are going to burn down, the bread's are going to burn. That comes first and before going to the masjid. Understand? That's a valid reason. Again, timing is important. You should try to plan accordingly and so forth. Um, so anything that, that could lead to loss of wealth, loss of uh, health or you harm your body, or harm anything. Those things take preference. Right? And again, a Muslim shouldn't, he should plan accordingly. But if it happens such, it can happen randomly, then you give that preference, that's a valid excuse. Because even if you did go, what's going to happen? Where's your focus? The oven's on. The oven is on. That's your only focus is on there. So there's no point. Get the thing done and then go pray. Understand? And Allah Azza wa Jal 
knows best. The last mas'ala here, yeah, very quickly, the Sheikh says, some people, they leave off Salatul Maghrib in the Ramadan, in the Masjid. So what happens? You break your fast and now people eat. They have their pies and their samosas and their things. And they don't go to the Masjid because they're busy breaking their fast. Right? Um, so what's the hukum? That's an option. If you break your fast in the masjid, best, alhamdulillah, that's, that's definitely an option. Um, so it depends, you know, if somebody's eating and he misses the waqt, but the sheikh says you shouldn't eat to your full at that moment. You eat something, you know, small. The sunnah is to eat a few dates in water. That's the sunnah. Pray and then you come back and you can eat after that. That's the best way to do it, obviously. And if it means breaking in the masjid, bismillah, that, that would be the best option. But if you, if by breaking your fast at home, and it's a distance from the masjid, by the time you get there, you're going to miss the salah. If you live far away, it's not far actually. That's not far actually um, in the first place. Wallahu alam. But the best is to be there. The best obviously always to be there. Wa sallallahu